Let's begin with a word of prayer. Merciful Father, through holy baptism, you called us to be your own possession. Grant that our lives may evidence the working of your Holy Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, according to the image of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, so uh, beginning a new section, Lutheranism 101. Um, Sorry I had to be gone the last two weeks, but it is very good to not be traveling anymore. Um, I don't really like doing business travel. Traveling for vacation is fine, but business travel is exhausting. So uh, it's good to be home. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism probably for the next four to five weeks, uh, which will take us right up to Advent midweeks. So that should be um, a good marker for how uh, long – there's a lot to say about baptism. Baptism, I would say, is probably Lutheran's favorite doctrinal topic. Um, I I don't know why exactly, but all the Lutherans I've ever known and in Lutheran sermons that I've heard throughout my life, they really like baptism. And I I like baptism. It's a good topic. Um, I I think that – it's, it's obviously, as I said, when we were talking about this section in the book, uh, the means of grace, the word and sacraments, that is uh, the engine to the car we're driving in Lutheranism 101. That's uh, the, the heart and soul, if you will, of, of Lutheranism. So um, talking about baptism as one of the main means of grace, one of the main uh, sacraments in uh the, in the Bible, if you will, but also then in, in Lutheran theology, which is biblical theology, um, it, it kind of makes sense. So there's a lot to say about baptism, uh, maybe a surprising amount to say if you haven't thought about it too much before, but it really is all over in the Bible. So one of the places I'm going to depart from the book a little bit, I'm going to try and kind of follow the book's outline, but um, one thing I want to do is look at baptism in the Bible and look at uh, – I mean obviously the Bible is constantly referenced in uh, the book. And uh, whenever we talk about baptism, we're always going to be looking at the Bible. But I want to just kind of do a rundown of, of different biblical passages about baptism. And the, the reason for that is uh, because I, I heard a, a pastor say um, a while back talking about infant baptism because – Obviously, one of the the big issues with Lutherans and baptism is that we baptize babies, and there are other denominations that don't. Um, I heard a pastor say, well, that's just silly because if you – the whole debate is silly because if you just line up all the passages about baptism and all the passages about babies in the Bible, it's really, really clear that we should baptize babies. So I was like, okay, well – Maybe I'll try and do that and see uh, if that is really that obvious, which I think it is. I think he's right. Um, I think that not the the aversion to baptizing babies. Um, I mean, I, I it's one of these things that it's clear why it happens in history when you uh, look at people, but at the history of it. But when you like look at what the Bible says, if you're going to use your Bible as your Norman source for all of faith and life, as we do, it um, seems rather clear that, uh, to me at least, that baptizing infants is a correct or a good thing to do from a biblical perspective. So that's obviously something we'll talk about. Um, but anyhow, before we uh, get there, that'll be one of the sections that we do. Um, the first thing we want to ask is simply, what is baptism? That's the first question um, the book asks. What is baptism? And this is uh, page 139, if you have your book, 139. It's kind of where we're starting. Um, but I would actually rather go uh, so that what the book says is all good, and it, it basically summarizes or talks about this. But... Um, the small catechism, if you look at the small catechism, um, 
which you probably have a copy somewhere at home. And I already have it written down here, but I just thought I'd read it out of this. Uh, Baptism, one of the main sections of the small catechism, uh, starts out with this exact question. What is what is baptism? And uh, the definition there, does anyone know the catechism answer? What is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So uh, what is baptism? I'm not sure if I want to write this whole thing up. Uh, Baptism is... We'll just go ahead and start with water. It's not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's God's word. So God's command and word, which go together, right? But it's, it's the water plus his command in the word. And the... Another thing, um, let's do this first. The next question in the small catechism is what is that word of God? Does anyone know the scripture reference that Luther gives? John 15. No. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, which is go there. It's the what is often called the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission. So, yeah, the Great Commission. Um, and that's the command. That's the command in the Word, right? So, Matthew 28, um, go, therefore, baptize all nations. How are we baptizing them? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, so that's the command in Word. Where do we get this water part? Well, the water part just comes from the word baptism. So does anyone know what the word baptism means? So it's a it's a Greek word, baptizo. Immerse. Uh, no, it doesn't mean immerse. So uh, th- this is good because the um, the Baptists Wash. who we'll talk about, yeah, the Baptists who we'll talk about on this uh, say that it has to mean it means immerse. That's what the word means. That's just wrong. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to trust me on this. Um, I can show you some thick books on uh, the Greek language, um, but basically, how how are words defined? Well, words are defined by usage. So the the way you write definitions in a dictionary is you look at all the contexts in which the word is used um, in that language. In that, and normally within a kind of certain time period, because language changes over time, right? So you look at all the all the ways, or a lot of the ways that a word is used um, in a certain language in a certain period of time in that that time of that language, and you say, okay, what is how is this word used? What does it mean? And you'll norm, you know you might have a couple different definitions, right? So if you look in a dictionary, you might have like definition one, definition two, definition three. Right? You might have different, a variety of definitions for one word um, because sometimes words can be used differently. So sometimes baptism means immerse. Sometimes it, it denotes that. But the most common and the most basic definition of the word baptism, and there's plenty of instances both inside and outside the Bible uh, in Koine Greek, where baptism just means to wash. So uh, it and it doesn't clarify how that washing takes place. And uh, furthermore, if you go into the Old Testament, where because uh, baptism has an Old Testament background, this is something I was going to talk about a little later tonight. But baptism has an Old Testament background, just like the Old Testament background to the Lord's Supper is the Passover. Right? Baptism has an Old Testament background. It is uh, the ritual washings. Right? So if you look at um, the Greek 
translation of the Old Testament, which is what Paul and Jesus often quoted from. It's called the Septuagint. And you look at these uh, in like Leviticus, um, the middle of Leviticus, like thir- um, actually I wrote it down, um, 11 through 15, where he uh, Moses gives all the rules for cleanliness. And if you become unclean, you have to sometimes you have to do a ritual washing. That's a baptism. Uh, and in John 3, at the wedding at Cana, when they have the ritual jars sitting there, which is the water that gets turned into wine, that is water for ritual baptisms. Um, that, that's what that, those jars are there for. So anyway, all of that is to say that with those ritual washings, those weren't immersions, right? Uh, th- those were like you'd wash your hands with the water from this jar. That wasn't, it wasn't a ritual washing. Um, sometimes it was immersion, sometimes it wasn't. But uh, anyway, the point is, it just the word baptism just means to wash with water, um, and it's and it's also specific to water. Uh, it's a it's a washing of water. So um, we could put that there to wash with water. But okay, so what what were we saying? Uh, the God's commanded God's word, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is where do we get this water part in our catechism definition? Well, that's from the word baptize, to wash with water. To wash with water how? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what baptism is. It's that simple. Um, I think that oftentimes when we run into issues with Baptism, um, whether it's uh, talking about infant baptism or uh, if it's talking about baptism as a symbol or with the Roman Catholics, for instance, uh, they think they see baptism as one of these sacraments that is performed by a priest that gives the um, meritorious work, if you will, of the of the priest to a person. Uh, and the very, and they think of it kind of magically, if you will. Um, the fancy term for this is ex opere operato, that in the work itself, the thing is done. That's what that means in Latin. But the idea with the Roman Catholics is that just the very, the, um, the action of baptism uh, is the, um, this kind of magical work that then gives this this grace um, rather than thinking of it as a washing away of sins or a washing um, as as we'll talk about biblically. So I, I think the issue with whether it's talking about baptism as a symbol or baptism as this meritorious work by priests or uh, what a lot of things we're talking about is getting away from this simple definition. It's wanting uh, – to try and define baptism in this kind of negative sense of, uh, well, it can't be this or it can't be that, right? Um, which is bringing in other theology to try and uh, back that up. And I love what Luther does in the small catechism here because it's so simple and it's so biblical, right? What is baptism at the root, and then we can go from there, right? And I think when we look at Matthew 28, you'll see how many things um, that we think about with baptism are straight from the Bible. But uh, we're not trying to define baptism or any of its aspects apart from God's clear word, right? So Jesus says to wash with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to believe what he says about it, what he says it does after that. Um, so that's not even getting to the power of baptism yet. That's just what it is. But um, I, I just want to emphasize that we start with the simple scriptural definition. And we go out from there. Right. Um, I, I, you know, with things like the infant baptism debate or with. Is baptism a symbol, which is uh, what we'd call like a bap- baptismal regeneration debate? 
Um, I think that Lutherans and, and others who share this biblical doctrine are in some ways the most honest and the most simple in this, in this regard. That Again, we're just starting with what does Jesus say about it and then believing it, right? So um, any questions on what is baptism? We'll get to the power of baptism eventually and other things, but yeah. I know when we have a baptism in our sanctuary, we always have the blessed prayer. Yeah. Which refers to the Old Testament, obviously, too. Yeah, the flood prayer. So uh, the flood prayer is great. And whenever you read, so sometimes when I talk about reading the Bible, um, We'll talk about reading the Old Testament through the cross, looking forward to what we know in the New Testament. And we read the New Testament looking back through the cross to examples and things that we see in the Old Testament. And that is a good way to read the Bible because the two covenants are uh, connected at the cross, right? They the Old Testament is fulfilled, the Old Covenant is fulfilled, and the New Testament is established. And um, the Old Covenant still provides us with these wonderful examples and images and stories that teach us and um, so on and so forth. And what the flood prayer does, so I'll just – I'll read it to you. It, spell that word. Flood? F-L-O-O-D. Look, if you look it up on Google, it's – for people who have survived storms and stuff like that. Oh, well, they don't have the Lutheran service book, do they? <laughs> Obviously not. Look up Luther's flood prayer. So Luther wrote the flood prayer. Um, i got to find the baptism right. The, the stuff in the uh, front section of the hymnal, sometimes its ordering doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Um, here we go. Yeah, so, um, that's not right. There it is. Okay. Uh, what the, anyway, what I was talking about with the Old Testament, the flood, what Luther does when he writes the flood prayer and puts it in the bap- baptismal rite. So, we'll just go ahead and do this for fun. Um, Luther, there, there was – throughout the Middle Ages, um, you can look at a very simple like baptismal rite or maybe not even a rite but a, uh, what baptisms looked like in the Didache, which is a really early Christian document. And it's pretty simple. Um, they would – in the early church, uh, they wanted cold running water. So um, – and then they built – they started building baptismal fonts at a certain point, uh, which were made for immersion in the early church. So they were quite large. And from that time and, – and basically it was a very simple uh, baptism. We don't know exactly what all they did, um, but you know, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit basically. Uh, they would – we do know one of the early rites that they would include – was um, they would actually baptize people naked. So they would go down in the water naked, and um, that was to show the shame of sin, Adam and Eve in the garden, and then they would fully clothe them with the white robe uh, after they came up out of the water. And um, I think they did it in some sort of more – in a a modest enough way, but um, that – that's where our like white baptismal gowns and giving a white cloth, that's where that comes from today. Uh, but other than that, it's pretty simple. The, throughout the Middle Ages, baptisms got more and more complex. And some of the things were really good. So like adding the giving of a burning light, which we still do. Uh, adding the uh, anointing with oil, which we still do. And uh, so on and so forth. Um, there's one thing that I will do whenever uh, whenever I visit a family after they have a baby that was in 
the old, uh, some of the old medieval rites, which is sprinkling the, the tongue with salt, um, which is to symbolize uh, the preservation of faith. Um, you are the salt of the world. And um, I think that's a very beautiful thing. And we talk about infant faith and we talk about bringing the child to baptism. And it's, it's very nice. But basically, there was so many of these extra things that got added into baptism, people forgot the simple stuff. The Roman Catholic Church had, had made it so complicated that people forgot uh, baptism with water, to wash with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the main thing. And so uh, Luther wrote two baptismal rites. Um, one, he took out uh, a a lot of st- he took out a number of things, um, and then a couple years later he took out even more things. So um, it's not in the in the in the hymnal, but in the agenda. So the the one that's in the hymnal is more like Luther's second one, which is even more pared down. His baptismal rite. The the second uh, the the more complex one. That has a few more things in it, like it includes a, what we'd call an exorcism, um, where we pray that uh, the devil would leave this this child alone, uh, is in the agenda. So uh, I have a book of rites that goes along with the Lutheran service book um, called the Lutheran service agenda or something like that, Lutheran service book agenda. And it gives the option to do Luther's old rite as well. Anyway, um, that's just an excursus because we talked. We were talking about the flood prayer. Um, hopefully, this doesn't take more than four weeks. Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny. You, you did. You said at one point, "This is really it right here." And I thought, "This is interesting. It can be a ten-minute class or six weeks." Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Depending on how, how much, how far. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But this is our starting point. Yeah, right, that's the important thing. This is our starting point, and um, well, I think that, yeah. uh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, but then there's so much yeah. richness that can be added. So, anyway, in Luther's baptismal rites, he actually did add something, which was this flood prayer. That's what I was going to talk about. He added this flood prayer, and um, it's a very beautiful prayer, and it, it references uh, both the Old and New Testament. Um, in in the prayer, so it's a very it's a very beautiful prayer. Um, so I'm just gonna read it for you. So it, it goes, "Let us pray, Almighty and Eternal God. According to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. This is where the flood prayer comes from. Yet, according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. Okay, so you get. I, I'm gonna start talking about this, but you get. When you start to look at what baptism is and all the richness that it has in it in the New Testament, and then you start looking back at the Old Testament like at a thing like the flood um, and the crossing of the Red Sea, which Luther will also mention, you start to see baptismal ideas in those stories. And they provide, again, um, not taking away from this simple truth of God's word in Matthew 28 – but they provide this richness. And what was God doing when he was uh, bringing Noah and his family through the flood and, and the Israelites through the Red Sea waters? Well, one, he was redeeming his people, saving his people, and you know, just kind of the basics of those true historical stories. But he was also preparing his church for holy baptism. He was teaching about something that was to come in the New Testament. So uh, when Luther points out eight souls in all, Noah and his family, they were eight souls. Well, eight is the baptismal number. Um, and why is it the baptismal number? How many days in creation? Seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. Baptism is the day of new creation in a person's life. It's the eighth day. So uh, eight is the number in the Bible. You know the Bible likes to do this, right? Seven is completeness. Three is Trinitarian. I mean, you you get uh, numbers in the Bible. Eight is the day of new creation. Our baptismal font, what shape is it? 
It's an octagon, right? Eight sides. That's how most baptismal fonts are built, eight-sided. Um, so, uh, beautiful, again, a beautiful richness. Um, and, and what's happening in the flood, right? Sin is being drowned, washed away, and new life is being preserved. Um, and uh, this is also where we get the idea that the church is a boat, the church is an ark um, that keeps its uh, floating on the baptismal waters. It keeps us safe. Uh, at the seminary I went to in Fort Wayne, they originally designed the chapel to have a moat around it, a literal moat that would be filled with water. Um, and when you were, and they have these windows along the sides that when you were sitting in the pews, uh, you could look down into the in the outside windows and you'd be in the holy ark of the Christian church. Very beautiful. Something went wrong in the engineering, so it's just rocks. But, you know, this is, this is how things go. Um, but this is what Luther says here, right? So um, we'll get to the holy ark of the Christian church in just a second. Uh, yet, so eight souls in all, you drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea. And you led your people Israel through the water on dry ground, foreshadowing this washing of your holy baptism. So it's simple as, right? Um, the Exodus is a baptismal story. They're going from slavery to sin, in, through the waters, um, into a new life. Into a new life. Uh, and and the, the waters are there, right? And the, the, the evil is drowned. The wickedness is drowned. Um, then he goes to Jesus' baptism. Through the baptism in the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. So we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 um, in a little bit, maybe not tonight, but in a little bit, sometime. We're going to talk about Matthew 3 and how Jesus' baptism uh, is significant for our baptism. But... Uh, you can see here Luther already hinting at it that in Jesus' baptism, he is God is sanctifying water for baptism. He's he's instituting New Testament Christian baptism there. Um, now we pray that you would behold Andrew. We're just gonna use Andrew. I think he was the last last one I baptized. Was he? I don't know. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. Andrew, according to your boundless mercy. And bless him with the true faith by the Holy Spirit, and through this saving flood all sin in him, which has been inherited from Adam, and which he himself has committed since, would be drowned and die. Grant that he be kept safe and secure in the, here it is, holy ark of the Christian church, being separated from the multitude of unbelievers, just like Noah and his family were separated from the multitude of unbelievers, just like the Israelites were separated from Pharaoh and all his hosts. And serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and joyful hope, so that with all believers in your promise, he would be declared of, worthy of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So great prayer. Um, and it, it, shows, it shows the richness of baptism. I think this is probably one of the reasons that we like to talk about it so much as Lutherans is... Uh, when you start with this starting point, and then you start to build out scripturally from there, just how beautiful it all becomes. Yes, Steve? Did you well, have a question? I, I was just going to say the, the comment here is that the prayer is dripping with theology. <laughs> there you go. There it is. Had to be said. The prayer is dripping oh with theology. Pastor, yeah. when you put that eight up there, and the number, it made me think about something I hadn't thought about anything. Literally years. I remember growing up as a Lutheran, mm -hmm. but it always been talking about celebrating your baptismal day. Mm -hmm. Really superseded celebrating your birthday because mm -hmm. that was the more important of the two days. And if I did the math and got a calculator and remembered back, I can remember and probably come up with the exact date because I'm sure I've known my whole life. 
what yeah. that date was because it wouldn't have been long after my birthday. And, mm -hmm. But if, have you ever come across that where that's sort of emphasized as being maybe not more important than your birthday? But it, yeah, it, so there it, is a tradition. It's the most important date. Mm -hmm. there, it is, and, and uh, I've heard pastors talk about this that your baptism date in some ways is more important than your birthday, more important than your wedding. Or it is your birthday. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, it's your it's your rebirthday, yeah. right? So one of the baptismal passages that we'll talk about is John chapter three, um, Jesus' discourse with Nicodemus, and he says you have to be reborn. And how are you reborn by water and the Spirit? which is baptism, right? Water in the Spirit. So to wash with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when Jesus says water in the Spirit, we kind of know what he's talking about, right? Um, so that is your your birth, your, your birth as a new, uh, your rebirth as a new life in Christ. And um, it's, it's when you are engrafted in this holy ark of the Christian church. So it is a very beautiful day. So a couple things. Uh, one, I think we have, so there, there's definitely a tradition of celebrating your rebirth. Um, we like to call them at our house rebirth days. Um, there's, I know there's a prayer in the hymnal here um, somewhere for uh, baptismal, for baptismal anniversary. I got to find it here. But, um, eh. Baptismal life. Anyway, um, there's a prayer somewhere for baptismal anniversaries. Uh, you can find these. What we do um, is just kind of our family tradition that we've come up with. Uh, I, Rebecca's family did this to, to um, some of these things. We'll uh, just for our family devotions that night after dinner, whenever it's a someone's baptismal birthday, we will. Um, Take their frame, their uh, certificate, their baptismal certificate off the wall, and set it up next to them on the table with um, their baptismal candle, and we'll light their baptismal candle. We do this once a year, you know, for the baptismal birthday, and and we give them a some kind of religious gift. So, you know, with the young kids, it's just like arch books or whatever, you know, type of thing. Um, and then we have like a special dessert. So. That's what we do. Uh, but, yeah, it's very nice to celebrate your baptismal birthdays um, and to recognize, uh, to, to remember your baptism that way. So that's one of the things that we'll talk about, um, especially when we talk about the sign of the cross, which is a section a couple pages in on in this chapter, is – one of the things Lutherans emphasize is the baptismal life or remembering your baptism. And Luther has this quote about every time you wash your hands or wash your face, you should remember your baptism. Because God has sanctified water to be the way that he makes new children. And uh, in his name, so whenever we come across water, which water is this thing that can both easily destroy, right? If you think about like hurricanes or floods or um, drowning, uh, it can easily destroy. It's very powerful, but it also is necessary for life, right? We have to have water. If you don't have water for three days or whatever, you die. So uh, God sanctified water to be this way of um, making new children. And so whenever we have any water, Right? If we're drinking a glass of water, if we wash our hands, it's always a good time to remember I'm a baptized child of God. Right? That's my identity. Uh, and yeah, baptismal identity is another thing we can talk about. See, there's so much to talk about, which I, I, I made an outline, and I don't even have like half of this that I've talked about on my outline. So, <laughs> so <laughs> there's so much to say. Um, yeah, go ahead. One of the things, well, I've done two things. One of the things is when the girls got baptized and stuff like this, I have on their baptismal slip, mm -hmm. I, I put their, I had it embroidered, their name, their full name, their date of birth, and their baptismal date. Yeah, that's nice. And so I've got it kind of split so when their kids get baptized, you know, so I have my kids and then my grandkids. Yeah. So they can go down with, I don't know how long I'm going to go. But also, I have them to be the keeper of the addresses of everybody in our family. 
So that's one of the things that I also include. Yeah. So every time I have to send out the list, it has their baptismal date on yeah. it. And, you know, along right. with their birthday, the baptism. Yeah, that's day. good. So. That's good. Yeah, we have, uh, we use, we use a gown, a, a baptismal gown, um, and then a baptismal, I guess they're both gowns, I don't know. The, there's a boy one and a girl one from Rebecca's family that we use and, um, that it's, it gets harder to use them as there's like more children and grandchildren and cousins and stuff. But well, I have my son's candle mm-hmm. and the linen. Yeah. And it's out on the, in our house and always has been. Yeah. Only thing I only lit it one time because I thought at some point it'll be gone. Right. <laughs> no, seriously. That's right. You know, if you think. Of yeah, it, yeah. And so. Yeah, we figure we're all right for once a year for like. Two minutes. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, we take the picture. We put the candle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that fast. I just thought I don't want to do this. Is, you know. Yeah, right. But it's just, and you know, it's like he'll, he's, he's always kind of amazed when he comes and sees it. Like, yeah. You still have that out? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's good. All right. So. Um. All right. So yeah, that's what baptism is. Um, the next thing uh, that the book talks about is it's got the section a special word and then also it has this technical stuff box on page 141 and both of these are basically about terms related to baptism so uh, we'll, we'll do terms next we got about 20 15 20 minutes left today um, so the different terms that are addressed here, uh, we already talked about baptism itself, obviously, but sacrament is another term. And uh, the term sacrament, I, I know this has come up before, but the most basic definition or traditional definition of sacrament is uh, a, a right uh, commanded By God. So again, notice, we'll notice here the connection to uh, our definition. Uh, right commanded in God's word with a promise of grace uh, attached. To a physical element. So this word sacrament is a made-up word. Uh, it's not in the Bible. It's a word that the church came up with to try and kind of group together uh, these these things, these rights that God gives to His people um, in the new covenant um, that are commanded of us and where God attaches a uh, the forgiveness of sins, a promise of grace uh, to physical elements. So the what are what are the sacraments in the Lutheran Church? What are communion. yeah communion, <coughs> baptism, baptism, and then uh, abs- yeah, absolution is normally included. Um, there there's always been debate about this. So the, the Roman Catholics say there's seven sacraments, um, and whenever – so in the Book of Concord in the Lutheran Confessions, uh, whenever Melanchthon is talking about the, this issue of the term sacrament, because on one hand, we'd want to say to the Roman Catholics, well, marriage and confirmation – especially like confirmation, which is totally an invention of man in the church, uh, is not the same thing as baptism. Right now, is is confirmation bad? No, confirmation. It's a time to teach the people of God. That's fine, but uh, confirmation is probably not the same on the same level as communion or baptism. So when uh, Philip Melanchthon, who wrote the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, in the Book of Concord, whenever he's talking about this issue, he says, "Well, if you define sacrament." 
very loosely, you can have seven. I don't really care. But if we use this definition, which basically comes from Augustine, then we should limit it to baptism, communion, and absolution. And uh, the physical element in absolution, by the way, because that's the part that gets a little sticky, is the pastor's voice, right? Uh, speaking in the stead of Christ, uh, or, the, or the pastor uh, speaking instead of, in, in the stead of Christ. That uh, absolution is incarnational in this way, that in John 20, God commands, Jesus commands the disciples uh, in his word, John 20, right commanded to forgive the sins of repentant sinners. That's a promise of grace, and that is done in a in a physical way, um, right? So the, the voice of the pastor is a physical element there. Um, anyway, but uh, when we talk about baptism as a sacrament, that's what we're talking about. And you can see how it's a helpful category that um, we have a way to talk about these, uh, these ways in which God gives us his grace that are physical in nature and that are from scripture. So, yeah, that's the word sacrament. Um, means of grace, that's another term we just uh, were talking about. Means of grace is like sacrament, but it's a little bit broader. So... It is what it sounds like. It's the means by which God gives us grace. So it includes the sacraments. It also includes his word, right, and the preaching of his word, which his word um, is not a physical thing in the same sense that the bread and the wine or the water or uh, the, the pastor, um, the pastor's voice is a physical, physical thing. Um, obviously, we have physical Bibles, which contain God's word, but... Uh, God's word is more of an abstract. So, um, but the word uh, is also a means of grace. Um, the preach, the preached word, uh, and and the written word are means of grace. Uh, and the, I, I know I've said this hundred times before, but just kind of as a reminder, when we talk about means of grace, what we're talking about, the analogy I always use is. There's money in the bank versus there's money in your bank account, right? So at the cross, Jesus wins forgiveness for the whole world. How does that forgiveness get applied to you as the sinner through these means of grace, through the word and sacraments, right? How does the money get put in your bank account? It's through the, the means of that grace, right? So um, the, uh, we already talked about the word baptism. Uh, then in the technical stuff, this is kind of a random list, but um, Bapt, uh, Anabaptist is the first one the, the book goes into, and, and these are good definitions. One who baptizes again, so that's what the, pre, the prefix ana in Greek uh, – or yeah, uh, yeah, in Greek means Anabaptist, uh, baptizer again, again baptizing. And so Anabaptists uh, – where the group, the first group of people, so notice infant baptism, by the way. Infant baptism is the norm from, as far as we can tell, the time of Jesus. Uh, I mean, there's records of infant baptism in the early, early, early church, um, and the church fathers speak of it as completely normal um, and right and, until the Reformation. Right until Luther, infant baptism is completely standard. So the first people to reject infant baptism are the Anabaptists, and they they reject uh, they they're what's called radical reformers in the sense that they're taking something you know very radically and um, contradicted traditional Christian and biblical teaching. Right. So the direct descendants of the Anabaptists are the uh, Amish and Mennonites. By the way. That's if you follow history, that's where they end up. Um, but obviously, that influenced other groups as well because you have the Baptists who also reject infant baptism. They reject the fact that the the child or the baby cannot stay. I repent of my sin. Right. So. Yeah, they can't. They can't say it out loud. So uh, that's yeah, that, and that's one of the 
their arguments, but um, I'm sure there's others. There, yeah, there's obviously others as well. So then John the Baptist, um, we'll talk about him whenever we do Matthew three and baptism from the Bible. But I think I think this list um, in the book is you hear all these terms that have the word Baptist in them. And then you're like, what does that have to do with baptism? So that's, I think that's what it's trying to describe. So John the Baptist, obviously, if you remember from uh, the early parts of the Gospels, John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way of the Lord, and he is baptizing people in the Jordan River um, for a repentance. So it's a, it's not the Old Testament. Um, I didn't write that down anywhere, but it's not the Old Testament ritual washing that we talked about a little bit earlier, but it's also not fully uh, Matthew 28 yet, right? So it's a it's a baptism for repentance, not for forgiveness, but a baptism for repentance, John's baptism. Um, so we'll talk about that. And then John the Baptist is a character through the rest of the Gospels, right? Um, he gets uh, he preaches a strong uh, law and gospel, and he and he gets uh, thrown in prison and beheaded by Herod Antipas. At the request of Herod's niece, if you remember that story. Mm-hmm. And there's also the account of uh, him in jail, and he sends his messengers to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah, or is there another one to come? Um, indicating that he had doubt about about Jesus for a certain time. And there's debate about what that means, but anyway. Uh, Baptist, so... Obviously, you are all familiar with the Southern Baptist um, living where you live, but uh, Baptist is uh, this individual congregation or church body, right? That, and that, again, it, it says usually here because you also know there's a lot of different kind of Baptists, but usually teaches adult immersion. So they're big. One of the reasons they use the term Baptist is because of what I said earlier when Steve, when, uh, Steve uh, said about baptism, if baptism means immerse or not. Um, they believe that baptism, the word baptism means uh, – only means immerse, and so that's why they use the term Baptist because they – what they think they're saying is that we're the immersers. <laughs> um, but really, they're just saying we're the washers, so <laughs> uh, they they just don't know what they're saying. <laughs> um, but anyway, the the Baptists teach uh, immersion, and then uh, and then um, they also teach that it's a symbol, a mark of one's dedication to Christ. It's not actually a uh, what we'll talk about in a second, a regeneration. Um, they usually call it an ordinance instead of a sacrament. Because they would have a problem with this promise of grace idea, right? Um, and it's, as it said here, it's th- this might be a little bit of a typo, but, but it's um, they don't teach normally that it's just for adults. Uh, they, they would say it's just not for infants. It's for someone who get, reaches what they describe as the age of accountability where they can um, confess for themselves what they believe. And you get a huge variety of what that is with different Baptist theologians. So um, I had to write a response one time for the the most famous systematic theology for the Baptist is Wayne Grudem. If you've ever heard that name, um, it's the book is just called Systematic Theology, and he basically outlines everything that your average Baptist believes. And he talks in there about the age of baptism and. I, in re- seminary, I had to read it for some reason, but um, I remember I had to write like a response to it, and he – it's it's really funny because he says, well, normally the age is like – I think he says like 10 or 11, but my kids were really smart, so I baptized them at 6 or 7. <laughs> All right, Wayne. Yeah, of course they were. I mean <laughs> – so. Um, and, and yeah, so you get like a you get a variety of, of ideas about that. So um, that's probably not that fair, but it, it was funny when I read that. Um, everyone's child is special, right? 
Um, baptismal regeneration. Um, in holy baptism, the Lord promises you the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In theological language, we call this baptismal regeneration. So this, the word regeneration actually comes from the word that is translated in John 3 as born again. That, that word is regenerated. And it comes from the word, the Greek word genesis, right? So the book of Genesis is the, uh, the genesis of creation, the beginning of creation. A regenesis or a regeneration is a new beginning uh, or a new birth. And so the, the most literal translation of John 3 would be uh, you must be regenerated from above by water and the spirit. So, but what that means is that there is a real change of heart that takes place. There's a real forgiveness of sins. Um, this, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the power of baptism and what baptism does. But there is a real forgiveness of sins. There's a real grace. There's a real uh, change of heart. There's a real drowning of sin and uh, bringing on of a new life. There's a real regeneration that happens. Uh, in baptism and there are a variety of others who will reject that right so catholics be- uh, roman catholics believe in baptismal regeneration eastern orthodox do obviously we do um but you'll get some reform that do and some reform that don't uh baptists you know by and large do not accept baptismal regeneration um you get a whole variety on this topic but uh, it's surprising how many people reject this. I mean, again, this is one of those things if you just uh, look at the clear words of Scripture with the basic Matthew 28 as your starting point, it just seems it just seems clear. And I'm not I'm not trying to belittle anyone or um, say that they're not reading Scripture clearly. I think it's just a clouding of judgment, you know, based on whatever false theology has been taught, but. Um, yeah, like if you read John 3, it just seems pretty clear. First, First Peter 2, uh, baptism now saves you, right? Uh, seems seems kind of obvious that something real is going on here. So that's baptismal regeneration. All right, well, the next thing I'm going to do is baptism in the Bible, but that's the first place we're going is Matthew 28, which is going to take longer than two minutes. So does anyone have any... Final questions or comments before we end this evening? Nothing? Done two minutes early. There we go. All right, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of holy baptism by which you have called us to be your children. We pray that you would lead us to remember our baptisms throughout our lives, that we would know that we are your children, that we have your Holy Spirit, and that our whole life is hidden in Christ with you. We pray this through your Son, the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.